humbled to be in front of you today and to be able to speak from God's word. Uh, don't feel worthy to be up here, um, but I know that God has a word, uh, and when he does, it comes to me first, and uh, it pierces me, and then uh, I, I have the ability to deliver it to you, and I, I pray that you continually keep me in your prayers uh, as I do this. Uh, today's reading is going to be coming from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, and we're going to look at three verses, and they're, they're not long verses, they're actually pretty short uh, but I think they're pretty jam-packed with the uh, material here. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of dissect a little bit on these three verses and, uh, and see how it applies to us today. So verse 9, 10, and 11. Verse 9, and so, from, and this is Paul, by the way. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy." All right, so Paul's writing this letter, and he's in prison. Uh, he's in prison. You're uh, restricted access to a lot of areas. Uh, you're probably in chains. Uh, you don't get to pick out your meals. Uh, most people, if they're in jail, the, the feeling that you may have is defeated, uh, despair, regret, um, maybe revenge if you're in prison, um, but that's not the situation with Paul. Uh, Paul is, feels just happy. He feels uh, so happy and privileged to wear the chains for Christ. So in prison, he's here, and he feels the need to write this letter to this church of Colossae. And what's interesting about that is he's never visited this place. He's never visited this church He's never met these people. He's had a conversation, and from what he hears, these people are good people. Uh, but there are people, there, there are things around them, deception, distractions around them. So Paul feels the need to write this letter to this church. Now, I want you to think about for a second. So he's writing to this church in Colossae, and I want you to kind of think about where we are right now. Uh, we are in New York in the state of New York, very close to New York City, very full of distractions, right? Full of deception. Um, and we, he could very well be, see, he's never visited this city, he's never seen these people. And so he could very well be writing to us, right? Because we are, we are God's people in a certain place around a lot of distractions, a lot, around a lot of deception. So when I go to the Bible, when you go to the Bible next, and you pass by the book of Colossians, it could be Hicksville, the letter to Hicksville. And I want you to take it that personally, because then you're going to actually see the words as how they were written to the recipients. You're that other people. And as we read this, I'm going to look at, we're going to break this down, like I said. We're going to look at verse 9. And towards the end of this verse, Paul is asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled 
with a knowledge of his will. Isn't that all of our desires? To know God's will. So a lot of us, we, we want to know God's will. God wants us to know his will. So why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to be able to do God's will? I can't pick up a phone and call, hey God, what do you want me to do next? Uh, what's, the next what's, to, what's in it for today? What's today's agenda? Can't go, I can't follow him on Twitter. Can't check his Instagram account. It's a, it's a little bit difficult to kind of get this. And I know, okay, well, if you want to know God's will, then it's in the Bible. That's a little cliche. It's true, and I agree with you. It's in the Bible. Uh, we should pray, and those are two things that absolutely I'm going to focus on. But if, if in the Bible it says, do not kill or do not steal, but does it tell me which school I should go to? Uh, it tells me to love my enemies, but does it tell me I should invite them over for dinner? It's, it's hard to kind of distinguish, what, God, what should I do? I know in the grand scheme of things I know what to do, but in my everyday, in these details, what am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? Because I want to do that. And I think there's uh, some insight that we can get from the book of Acts. In um, Acts chapter 16, I thought it was pretty interesting. A uh, few verses, and by the way, I'm probably going to butcher the names of these cities, so uh, forgive me. Um, and if you're going to laugh, please keep that to yourself. Um, this is uh, chapter 16, verse 6 through 10. And so Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Figria and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the providence of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. Here we go, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, okay? So you can kind of see what's going on here. First, God doesn't want them to go into Asia, and he doesn't want him, them to go to Bithynia. Is it because God doesn't like the people of Asia? I mean, not, not the Asia that we're talking about. It's uh, probably Turkey, not, uh, not China or anything like that. Um, but does God not like the people there? Is that the reason why God says, no, I don't want you to go there? And then is the same true for Bithynia? They, hey, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go over here. And it may not be for Paul. Paul might not be the right person to bring the word. Or it could be Paul, but just not at that particular time. So as you can kind of see what's happening here, as Paul's going this way, the Holy Spirit's directing him this way, and so now he's going this way, and, and the Holy Spirit's saying, no, don't go that way, go this way. So he's being directed by the Holy Spirit wherever he goes. We don't know how. So it, it, it's, not, it's, not relevant. It's, uh, it's not mentioned in the Bible how the Holy Spirit told Paul. Okay? Was there a light from heaven that told him, hey, don't go into Asia, don't go into Bithynia? We don't know. It, there could have been. 
But all likelihood, it wasn't that. It was something else to the point where he was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit where he knew, I can't, I shouldn't enter there. He didn't know in the beginning with Bithynia. He was walking that way. And as he's coming to the border, so his intention at first was to go this way. But then at that moment, the Holy Spirit says, no, not there. Okay? And I want you to also think about this too. The Holy, as uh, Paul's doing his travels, he's saying, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't want me to go there. The Holy Spirit doesn't want me to go here. He goes into Troas. And then when he's there, he gets a dream. And the dream isn't the, an angel. It isn't God telling him, go into Macedonia. It's a dream of a man saying, help. So then he gets, he comes to the conclusion that God, God's will is for him to go to Macedonia. Do you see all the components there? There wasn't a bright light coming from heaven saying, I want you to go to Macedonia. He tried. He took a step. He took a step into Troas. He was going into a city. He wasn't sure, but he, he prayed and he went. And sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit tells us to do something. And sometimes we have to move and then be directed by the Holy Spirit. And a lot of the times, it's going to be a closed door. And then you come over here, it's a closed door. And that's letting us know, well, if God's closed this door, then I'm going a different way. And I want to be directed by the Holy Spirit. Now, most guys in their mid-20s, there's two things on their mind. Uh, one is, I want to get a good job. I want to have an awesome career. The second thing is probably, I want to have a wife. I want to have a good wife. And those are, uh, those kind of consume your mind in your mid-20s, at least it did for me. I was no different. Uh, I was back in Orlando. It was my last year of my master's program. And um, had a few more months to go. Uh, I sat down with my pastor. And my pastor uh, in Orlando told me, um, Denny, I think I have, a, I have a girl for you. And I don't know. I don't take relationship advice from my pastor usually. I don't know if any of you guys do. But I'm like, okay, that's great. I'm going to be nice. I'll take, the word, I'll take the name. I'll remember it. But I'm definitely not going to act on it um, because, again, I'm not going to take relationship advice from my pastor. I don't know. Again, you might. Um, but I'm remembering in the back of my mind. And, um, and I'm like, you know, pastor, that's great. Thank you. Um, but right now I'm going to focus on finishing my master's degree. So um, go, I got another seven months or something, and uh, I'm going, and I'm doing my master's degree. And I, at the beginning of this journey, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, there's so many jobs available for me to have, uh, so I can just kind of pick whatever I want and, uh, and live very comfortable in the circles that I was, that I grew up in, in Florida, and uh, didn't work out that way, because guess what happened? The 2008 economy fell apart, and every job that I thought I was going to have shut down, shut down, shut down. And all the way to the point, I'm coming towards graduation, and there's one job that I thought was still perfect for me. There's one job available. And I think, you know what, I know it's only still, it's only one job out there, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to get this. I was so sure that I started looking at apartments, and I was about to put my name down on an apartment. I did the interview, and now I'm waiting, I'm playing the waiting game, and uh, 
no call. So I called them. They're like, oh, sorry, we didn't make a decision yet. Called back the next week. Sorry, no decision. Finally, the third week, I called them again, and they said, sorry, we gave it to somebody else. So all the doors, I was going this way, door closed. I was going this way, door closed. Finally, I'm thinking this, okay, it's got to be this door, God. And I, I walk towards this door, and it's closed. Now, it's interesting, on the exact same day, that last door was closed. I didn't know what to do. And then I get a call from a friend trying to introduce me to the exact same girl that my pastor told me eight months ago. Now, you guys might believe in coincidences or, or whatever, but the fact that at that moment, every single door was closed, and then this opportunity possibly in New York with my first issue that I didn't have answered was gonna be a God thing. Couldn't go this way, couldn't go this way. The doors are closing, but there was a window of opportunity that was open for me. Now, was it an easy decision? I was very comfortable in Florida. Very, very comfortable. I built up my reputation. People knew who I was. And now, I mean, I'm hearing the things. Oh, man, you don't want to go to New York. Traffic. The people there are so mean. They all stay to themselves. By the way, they weren't talking about you guys. They were, they were talking about everyone else in New York. Um, and uh, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And I'm hearing this, and get, let me tell you something. It is difficult. It's very difficult. But if I knew the will of God, and I believed that this was the will of God, why would I not do this? How could I not do this? I knew it was going to be difficult. But if you know the will of God... And God, God's wired us differently. He's wired me this way. He's wired you another way. There's something else that might be convincing for you, knowing through prayer and being in the word that God has told you to do something, but you might be ignoring it, right? Because God's wired you a special way, and he may be speaking to you. doesn't say how, but he, he will be speaking to you. And you have to be drenched in prayer and the word to make sure that these, this, what you're feeling, it's not a feeling, it's a Holy Spirit telling you what to do. It doesn't have to be the big decisions. Uh, it could be little ones. I'll tell you this. A few weeks ago, um, I had uh, Brother Finney Joshua come up to me in the back. I was in, I was in the back room. And he says, Brother, I have to tell you something. Um, you need to go out and buy umbrella insurance. And, uh, man, when I heard this, um, the first thought of my mind was, am I dying this week? Should I uh, increase my, uh, my life insurance or as part of, as, I guess it's under your umbrella. And, um, and I took it in. I took it in. I'm like, uh, all right, um, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to pray on it. And I'm like, God, help me to be sensitive to what you want me to see. And that exact week, the same week that he told me that, there was an opportunity on a side business that I had that was dormant for five years. And I would have completely ignored it. But the fact that uh, the, the brother gave me this information and I prayed on it, I believe that this is God's will for me to, to, to venture into. God's gonna be working his ways, his will in your life 
in a way that you will understand it as long as you're drenched in prayer and the word. Let's go to verse 10. So the first part of this is knowing God's will. And in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We're gonna stop there. We're gonna focus on this part of it. We're gonna walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Sorry, fully pleasing to him. We're gonna use that, that portion as well. Fully pleasing to him. Now, um, I think there are two people in the Bible that are, are is directly mentioned as pleasing God. There might be more, and I could be wrong, but definitely these two um, people in the Bible that are mentioned as pleasing God. One, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know the first one. It's Jesus. Jesus fully pleases the Father, okay? But uh, what, what I didn't really focus on or I didn't really pay attention to initially when I, when I was reading this is how the Father acknowledges that he's pleased with Jesus. So the two times that the Father speaks to the Son, uh, a voice coming from heaven down at the baptism and at tra- the transfiguration, what are the words that are being used? This is my beloved Son in whom I am. Why? Why, why does it, so one, obviously when you hear this, probably the, one of the first things that you think of is, all right, he's acknowledging that this is my son. That's the, the obvious one. He's acknowledging his son. But it's very important to the father to mention this end part both times. In whom I am well pleased. Okay, this is more than just an endorsement of what Jesus' life is on earth. It's more than an endorsement. It's recognizing that the son is in full agreement with the father, fully aligned with the father. Every move that he makes, his entire life, every decision that he makes is completely aligned with the father. How amazing is that? And, he, and, and the voice from heaven is acknowledging this in his, in his life and his death that it pleases the Father. Right? All right, I'm gonna do something most speakers will not tell you to do. Pull out a phone, and I want you to Google this. Which person in the Bible pleased God? Google, go ahead, Google it. Who is it? Who in the Bible pleased God? Who was the first person that comes up? I heard it. Enoch. Why Enoch? Out of all the people in the Bible, I think the biggest mystery of a, of a person in the Bible, my opinion, of course, is Enoch. There are nine verses in the Bible about Enoch. Most of those are genealogy talking about his father, his father Jared, his son Methuselah. So if you kind of strip all that away, there's really only three verses in the entire Bible. The Bible has about 31,000 verses and only three real ones talk about Enoch. Biggest mystery. Um, But even though there's so little written about Enoch, every portion that's written about Enoch is so profound. 
if you look at it. So profound. He somehow makes his way into the hall of faith. So little, so little is written about him, but he makes his way into the hall of faith. He doesn't die. And in the hall of faith, it says he pleased God. Only one mention there that pleased God. So what about Enoch? What about Enoch pleased God that other, that something that he had, something that he did, what was, what characteristic of his life was to the point that he pleased God more than every big character we could think of? Moses, Abraham. Oh, there we go. His walk. Now, I think it's interesting, and you probably think it's interesting as well, all the patriarchs in Genesis chapter 5, they live between 700, 800, 900 years. And then you have Enoch, who lives 365. And right when I hear that, that number, 365, what's the first thing you think of? The number of days in a year. And, I, and if the one characteristic of Enoch is that he walked with God, and I'm thinking 365 days a year and 365 years he lived, the first thing I'm thinking of is Enoch not only walked with God, but he daily walked with God. Daily walked with God. Constantly moving, constantly walking, synchronized steps with God. Wherever he went, Enoch's walking and walking. And that's all we get from Enoch. That's all we need from Enoch. And to realize how important he is to make his way to the hall of faith. You know what's also pretty interesting? That knowing that Enoch and Jesus were in full agreement, full agreement with everything he did. With, the cool thing about Enoch is everybody in this room is related to Enoch. The same blood that flew through Enoch, DNA-wise, comes to us. He is our great-great-grandfather to the 30th degree. Maybe not. Maybe it's probably 40 or something. But Enoch's blood flows through us. What, is, what does Paul say? What does Paul want us to do? He wants us to be synchronized with God. He says, one, know the will of God. I pray that you know the will of God. And then once you know it, not only do I want you to walk, but I want synchronize steps with God. One step at a time. Keep going. And when you take these steps, you will be directed by the Holy Spirit. Lean not on your own understanding and always acknowledge him and what? He will what? He will direct. Okay, I always skip this part because it's just memorization. But he's directing us. Just take a step, but I'll direct you. I'll direct you to the left and I'll direct you to the right. The second part of verse 10 says, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, this is very important because anybody can say, hey, God told me to do it. God told, God told me to rob a bank. He told it to me. He knows. God told me to buy a lottery ticket last week. I mean, last week would have been interesting. Um, God told me to buy you, uh, God told me that you need to buy me a cheeseburger. And so what's interesting is 
that you can't just take someone else's word saying that God told me something. It has to be bathed in prayer and the word. And you can see this, what this verse is telling us, is the fruit of every good work. That fruit that we see, we, sometimes when I see a banana, and I know without even eating the banana, that I'm not gonna eat that banana. It's all black on the outside. I don't even bother. I don't even bother peeling that banana. I just open up the, unless we're making banana bread. I open up the garbage and throw the banana in. There's no way I'm eating it. I can see it. I can obviously see it. And that's also kind of comes in this realm as well. If we know somebody just kind of says, hey, God told me, you'll automatically know that, yeah, that's not from God. Right? You don't need to eat the banana to know that's not from God. You can see it. In other situations, you're like, okay, this could be from God, but let me bathe this with prayer. Let me get into the word and see if it aligns to make sure that the fruit is good in every kind of way. You got people say, hey, uh, God told me that Trump was gonna win the election in 2020, and God told me that this was gonna be that. But if you start seeing that the fruit isn't really there, stay focused on the word. Don't get lost in the stuff that's all around us in politics and everything else. Stay focused on the word, on the one true God, not one man, not one person. Verse 11, and this is, I, I, I think I read verse 11 about 30 times in a row because I wanted to make sure that I got this down. Verse 11 says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And you see these words, endurance, patience, and we're gonna get to joy. But as I kept on reading this over and over again, I get the sense that this is gonna be very hard. This is gonna be a, a, this is gonna be a difficult journey, a difficult walk, a difficult synchronized walk, okay? You guys ever done the three-legged race? I've done it a couple times with my daughter when I pick her up from school and she'll put her foot on one leg and then we try to walk. Not easy, especially because I'm three times the size of her. Um, but when you try to be synchronized with something else, you have to kind of be on the same heartbeat. We were just driving uh, on the road and we saw the birds fly by and they make this perfect V. Who told them how to do that? How do they do that? I really don't know, I gotta do my research. But they are perfectly synchronized in how they fly. And when I think about things that are synchronized, one of the things I think about is back in the 2008 uh, Olympics, the opening ceremony, I don't know if you remember this, this is back in, in China, where they had like 15,000 um, performers and they were all synchronized to the same beat of the drum. And it was such an awesome spectacle to see. And you realize that to be synchronized with anything takes complete focus. 
You have to be intentional. There's no accident to be synchronized with God. You can't accidentally fall in. Oh, I just did the will of God. Just fell into it. You can't fall into it. And it has to be intentional to be able to be at the same beat. Um, on the other end of that, I remember like if I, when I was working in the city, and right before 9 o'clock when everyone's kind of like, everyone's in suit and tie, I guess this is pre-COVID, and everyone's just kind of running to their buildings, right? It's not really running. It's, it's fast walking. If someone ever got into my path and walked the exact same speed I'm walking, it would feel completely awkward, and it would, like, make your, uh, like your juices flow. Like, what are you doing? Get out of my space. And it's to the point where you're getting, you're, you would make the other person feel uncomfortable if that wasn't, inten- I mean, if it wasn't intentional. Or if that guy doesn't want you synchronized with them, um, they'll let you know. Intentionality, being synchronized step by step with God. When, uh, this, the last two words of verse 11, very important, with joy. So I want you, I know this is going to be hard. You're going to need my strength. But I want you to do this with joy. You're going to mess up. But God is telling you, I want, I want you to get up. You can do this. And I want you to be, I want you to do it with a smile on your face. You may lose your cool, but God's saying, I want you to get up. Forgive. You can do this. This is a little bit different than Joshua chapter 1, verses 9. Because that is, uh, be courageous in a way like you're going to battle. But this battle is a little bit different. It's not a, it's not a physical battle here. It's a battle that's kind of within us. Our pride. Our selfishness. Sometimes when I lose my cool, God's saying, use my strength. Get up. You can do this. Yeah, you've been an embarrassment to your family. But God's saying in this verse, get up, use my strength. Humble yourself. This verse, is, it goes even deeper to the strength that we need to uh, grab from to show our patience, to build our endurance. You may feel like a failure, but this verse is telling us, God is telling us, you can do this. I placed you in this particular area for a very important reason. I know it's hard. I know it's very hard. But you can do this with joy. Arthur Owen Blessett was born in Greenville, Mississippi. He's evangelist. He's a street evangelist. He would, he would evangelize to anyone. And in 1968, he found his way from Mississippi all the way to Hollywood, California. And he would preach on the streets near all the clubs and near everything else that's going on. And he, I don't know how it came about, but as he was doing this, he had a 12-foot cross, and he would go up and down Sunset Boulevard, preaching the word of God with a 12-foot cross on his back. A great conversation starter. And would do this, and would preach, and would preach, and would preach. And then the next year, 
on Christmas Day, he decided, you know what, I'm going to go from Hollywood all the way to D.C. So he, on foot, with a cross on his back, he walked. And he walked, and everyone along the way may think he was crazy. Some people may come up to him and ask him, what's he doing? And then he would give the answer, and, and he would give a testimony, and would talk about the life of Jesus. And he would do it. And then after D.C., then he decided, and then he felt like God was telling him, I want you to go to the whole world, to every nation, every island group. I want you to do this across the entire nation. He didn't, he didn't have to do this, but he felt that this was the will of God, and so he did it. And so... He has been crosswalking for 55 years. He has walked 43,000 miles, has gone to 324 countries, either countries or island groups, and has been to all seven continents. Sounds glamorous, doesn't it? Maybe. Yeah, there's, a, there's a DVD on it, out on him. There's a book that he wrote. Sounds like this might be something, a cool thing to do. But I haven't really talked about the, uh, the hardship that kind of goes back to the verse in verse 11. You know how hard it is? I, I just, street preachers in general, okay? I am guilty when I get out of the train and I see a street preacher, I walk this way. I'm guilty, okay? I'm telling you uh, straight up, I'm guilty of kind of going the other way. And let me just get to work and do this. Um, the life of a street preacher is not glamorous, Think about how much rejection he gets day after day after day after day. Rejection, rejection, rejection. And yet every picture I've ever seen of this guy is the biggest smile on his face. Rejection upon rejection. Here's a couple things in his life. He was arrested 24 times. He was attacked by a green mamba snake in Ghana. He, there was a bamboo, I'm sorry, a um, a a baboon attack in Kenya, an elephant chase in Tanzania, a crocodile attack in Zimbabwe. He came across a firing squad in Nicaragua. He was stoned and beaten in Morocco. There was an LAPD choking incident, a bomb blast in Northern Ireland. And yet with all of this, at the age of 81 today, he still does this with joy, with a smile on his face, and he keeps on going. How does he do this? And it goes right back to verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I'm going to end it here, but I'm going to go end it back where we began in verse 9 because I kind of skipped over the first part of verse 9. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is Paul. Okay, Paul's talking to the church, and remember I asked you to kind of think of yourselves as a church of Colossae, and Paul's telling us, I have not ceased to pray for you. This journey is very, very difficult, as we learned in verse 11, and it takes a lot of focus to understand God's will that we got from verse 9. And going through this synchronized walk, I mean, to even think about that, every part of that is going to be difficult. 
And so Paul, not knowing these people, never visiting these people, says to them from the very, very beginning, I haven't stopped praying for you. I haven't stopped praying for you. He's never met them, but I've never stopped praying for you. Now, I, again, I'm gonna come back to myself. I am guilty of this. When I pray, I pray for people's physical sickness. There's a list that we go through with the kids when we have our family prayer. We're gonna pray for this person's cancer. We're gonna pray for this person's uh, broken, hurt leg. We're gonna pray for this, we're gonna pray for that. But I am guilty of not praying for my brother's spiritual growth. I'm guilty. And yet here is Paul, not knowing this group, praying for their spiritual walk. In the very beginning, I asked you before you went to, went to sit down, I asked you to look at your neighbor, right? To look them in the eye and tell them what? I'm here for you. That was very intentional. Because we can't do this alone. There's a reason why these pews, are, you got, we're all sitting here, we're all in this together. And we need each other to pray for each other, not just for your physical needs, but your spiritual needs. And then I'll end it with this, with joy. It's hard. It's very, very difficult, but to do this with joy, it would please the Father. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this morning that you've given us. As we learn all the way back from Enoch to Jesus and how they would walk with you, and it's so easy to just say that someone walked with you, to be, but to be perfectly synchronized in every step. It seems impossible. But you tell us the strength comes from you in all endurance and patience. So Lord, I pray that Lord that we lean on you for that strength so we can build up our endurance in all our reactions, in all our interactions. People are at our work, at our schools, at our jobs, in our neighborhood. I pray for every interaction, Lord. You have placed us here for a reason, a reason that I may not understand right now. Well, Lord, I want to know your will. And I want to walk synchronized, foot by foot, arm in arm with you. We love you, Lord. We put this morning into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray.